0: yeah, we are at the end of the road. This is the last message in this series. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to two places. The second book of the Bible, Exodus, chapter 3. And then over the New Testament, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Both chapter 3 spots. Identity, roles, and idols. Well, we've been in this series for five messages now. Uh, Pastor Brad, when he originally did this series many years ago called Idols of the Heart, and I think you can still find some of that. After that series, it had such a profound impact on the life of the church. Pastor Brad took those messages, wrote this book that's called Gospel Treason. And this particular message I want you to be aware of is not taken from chapter 5. Chapter 5 is going to say some things that I'm not going to say. In fact, I'm going to contend with you that what I'm going to offer you today is likely best viewed as an introduction or an epilogue. In fact, all the meat that's in between, I believe that if you view this piece correctly at the beginning, middle, and end... Your battle with idols should get better, should get better. So, as a reminder, idols are a thing that we do battle with, things that uh, are are tempting to take over our heart. They can actually be life-dominating, and they can start defining you. As they become bigger and bigger issues, they impact everything. They impact everything from the things that you admire, stuff that you value, items you want to acquire, or things you want to eliminate from your life. We call these the little g-gods of our lives. Much of what keeps you, I believe, from, from flourishing and actually keeps you floundering as a follower. Why were you, why is this so? Why is this such a big deal? Well, because you were fine, you were designed by God, God designed you to find your ultimate fulfillment in Him alone. Now, hear me. I'm not saying there's no joy in other things. There's great joy in good things that God gives. But everything gets its place under God being your soul, S-O-L-E, and S-O-U-L, worship. Your soul worship. So let's cover again what an idol is. Hopefully you've memorized it. Many years ago I memorized this when we were doing this series. It benefited me. I encourage you to do the same. An idol is what? Say it with me. Anything or anyone that begins to capture your heart, mind, and affections more than God. And so I want to contend today that we all ought to be very honest. Idols are the things that we value sometimes more than God. We may not say it that way. We're not comfortable discussing it that way. But idols impact profoundly impact your spiritual health. They cut you off from joy and peace. And idols are hard to deal with because we're often blind to them. They are elusive. They hide within good things like jobs, children, or marriages. They get disguised within things that are actually really good. Things like your pursuit of fitness or relaxation or making wise decisions about money and the use of your time. They fly under the radar. Sometimes from our response to things as simple as how you respond to your performance in a pickleball match or how you swing a golf club or how far you throw that golf club when you do not hit it straight. All of those things, believe it or not, are hooks of something going on inside your heart. And here's what I want you to see today. We're going to end this series by focusing on what I'm calling an essential element of this battle. It should be a filter that we look through when discussing idols in our life. What is this one thing that we have to keep in mind? It is your identity. It's your identity. Or to put it another way, how you see yourself, how you view your purpose, will impact the topic of idolatry in your life how you view yourself, what makes you you, will impact the daily living that you do. Now that might seem elementary to you, but here is the issue. When you trust Christ as your Savior, when you embrace the gospel, you may not realize that you not only got forgiveness and a personal relationship with God, God gave you a whole new perspective on you. He gave you a new identity. And frankly, it's the only perspective that will cause you to live for something greater than yourself and greater than the little G gods that our heart manufactures. So yes, I am contending. Identity, your identity is no small thing. In fact, you get this wrong and your auto-manufacturing heart will wreak havoc on your spiritual life it will wreak havoc on your relationships with people. It will wreak havoc on how you relate to the things that you do and how you view it. Bottom line, bottom line, it, wrong identity, wrong understanding of what really matters and who you actually are. So let's start with what you, you say about you. About who you are. Usually that begins, in your mind, if I ask you, who are you, you jump to some roles that you play, and you play a whole bunch of them. What roles do you play, and what is your identity? Do you see these things, roles, identity, as one and the same? Do you? Well, I believe that there is a good example for us to consider in the life of Moses That we see in Exodus chapter 3. So look, I believe it's in your outline. But if you have your Bible, make sure you look at Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to give you a little quick background. Exodus 1 and 2, we have a recounting of how the Israelites are in Egypt. And who this Moses actually is. He was born an Israelite. He was protected by his mother, hidden floated down a stream, he was discovered by a handmaiden, taken into an Egyptian household, actually the Egyptian household, Pharaoh's household, and raised like an Egyptian. When he gets older, he realizes who he actually was. I am an Israelite. He witnesses an Egyptian abusing an Israelite. He doesn't like that at all. So what does he do? He murders the Egyptian and hoping, eh, it's just going to go away. But Pharaoh finds out. Moses finds out that Pharaoh's found out. And what he does next is he flees Egypt and ends up on the backside of the desert in a place called Midian, tending sheep for his father-in-law. So let's pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Take your sandals off your feet. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of God, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Do you see it? It's there at the end. That big question inside all of us. Moses asked it, Who am I? I believe that question is the same one that we deal with, and when we get it wrong, we not only get confused about who we are, we live confused about our purposes. And when we get those things talking to one another, confusion of our roles, confusion about who we are, then the idle factor of your heart kicks on, and we don't live as God intended. You don't live idle free. So in the time that we have left, here's what I'm going to do with you today, I hope. We're going to do this. We're going to ask, what's the fundamental issue, fundamental problem? What is this fundamental problem? And then what's the foundational or fundamental answer to that problem? So let's first look at this fundamental problem. In all of our lives, your identity and your roles, they get confused. You possess a God-defined identity. Whether you are a Christian or not, from the Bible's perspective, you don't get to define you. Now, you can do it, but you're going to live misguided. The Scriptures tell us something about you that's unique. You possess a God-defined identity. Unique in creation... You are human, made in the image of God and able to do things that no other created thing on the planet can do, including knowing God intimately or choosing to reject him. The Bible informs you. It tells you that there is a God. It tells us what things are right and wrong and how we got into the mess that we're in. It tells us about despair and what brings it. It tells us about the problem of sin, sorrow, and death, and the power of the gospel to bring hope and to redeem our lives. That's what the Bible tells us. It tells us that about us. But roles are different than identity. The former was identity. Roles are different. They come and go. No one in this room who is a parent was born a parent. That came in time and the joy of grandparenting as well, two different types of joy. Some of you have siblings. You are a sibling. It's a role that you play. You also play the role of being an employee. Maybe you're a business owner. Again, roles you play, but hear me, it is not... It's not who you are. Although, sometimes these roles are how you think about yourself. Even how you describe yourself. Someone may ask you in America especially, no other part of the Western world typically, quickly when you meet someone, does someone ask you, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? To which we reply what? I am Finish it. Whatever it may be, you play roles. You play the role of a spouse. You might be a coach. You are a friend. All of those are roles. But they are not who you are. We have many of them. Here's the interesting part. Our moods are impacted greatly by how well we are doing in our roles. Let me give you an example of this. Of Tuesday, this past Tuesday... I come home to my beautiful bride. And she's done something that I love for her to do, which she doesn't do very often. She's bought some new clothes. And I'm grateful when she does this. And in that next few moments, I went from being a pretty good husband to rolling, no pun intended, rolling a gutter ball. All right? Some of you know the power of your words And how you get in the gutter real quick. Now, when you perform well in your roles, you feel better about yourself. But when you blow it, you feel bad. You blame yourself. Some of you blame others. And here's the issue. Your role performance can, and God does use your role performance to wake you up. But it's never meant to be your identity. Now stay with me. Please stay with me. Roles should not feed your identity. But rather your identity should inform you of how you are to live out your roles. And here's the reason why. When roles and your success or struggle in them make up your identity... You're introduced to a toxic soup of meaning for your life. Where you interpret things like this. I am nothing but a failure. Or I'm a pretty good guy. Both places are problematic. For success feeds pride. I'm pretty great. Or failure leads to you getting frustrated. Maybe even depressed. And when those things get in play in our lives your heart starts looking for replacements. Here it comes. Looking for role improvement. Looking for substitutes. Looking for a new wife, a new husband, a new job. New, new, new. New will fix me. That define you better. And what you're actually doing, and you don't maybe, you may not really realize it, you're looking for peace outside of God. So, what are some of those roles or places that we tend to look to that define us and give us identity? Well, achievements. It starts early. It starts early. I remember, I told the first service about this. I remember first grade, my teacher had a chart on the wall, and you did certain things in a certain way, and you got gold stars. I didn't know what the gold stars were for, but there were gold stars. I wanted a gold star. My first star was silver. And I had no idea why I didn't have a gold star. Come to find out, she was just out a gold star, so she gave me a silver one. All right. But little kids, they start interpreting things, right? It doesn't end there. You do it with the sports you play. Recreation you pursue. You do it on the job. You want a promotion. Your health and fitness, travel, volunteering, you name it, you can make an idol out of it. You begin to think, I am my achievements. And relationships, another place you look to for identity. You're defined by how good or bad you're doing in your marriage, your parenting, your friendships. You measure success by the accomplishments. Or failure that you have in relationship. And as you age what you start doing. Is you start looking back and you pine for glory days. Spending your life looking back. Because you say I am my relationships. I have the success or failure that I've had. And then there's the big one that happens among Christians. It especially happens in churches like ours who are devoted to the truthfulness of God's word, who hold high the orthodoxy of God's word, and train you to renew your mind with it, here's what happens. Performance as a Christian becomes your identity. You won't say it this way, but I am my redeemer. It's up to me to make sure that I'm doing what needs to be done. I have to be good At being good. I have to be disciplined. I have to learn to be more and more. Do more and more. And here's what you sometimes do. You go from. I would really benefit from reading the Bible through in a year. Other people do it. I can do it. I should do that. You go from that. To I've got to read the Bible through this year. I've got to get this done. You start thinking salvation, right standing with God, somehow was tied to a choice that you made, a choice that you made in your past. And when making that choice, now it's up to you to get better at it. After all, performance in roles is who you are. In all of these, the reality is you have a yardstick. You have a yardstick that you hold up and believe I'm the product of my performance. And when you succeed, you keep thinking, that's the ticket, that's it, it's good, I hit the mark, I hit the mark, I hit the mark. But you fail. When you fail, you get driven in the ground. And I contend to you that either place, there's always a next thing, there's always something missing, there's always fear that you're going to lose out, What you do next is most important in life. The secret sauce is out there. You just got to find it and apply it to your life. On and on it goes. So what's missing? What's happening when we drift into this role performance as our identity? What's missing and strangely absent is the gospel and the glory of God. When the gospel is not burning brightly in you, you will fail to do what the writer prayed to do in Psalm 121. I will look up. Where does my help come from? You fail to look up to your Redeemer. You fail to see the glory of God and the joy that He brings that He gives you in a relationship with Him. The truth of your life gets pushed back to the back of your closet. It gets relegated to a past decision that you made. And frankly, in your life, it just kind of smells stale and of mothballs. Now, illustrations, all of them break down. But hear out this illustration. Some of you, in your closet right now, you live long enough, you've got a shirt or a pair of shoes or a suit... Or a dress that you were so proud of. Wearing it made you feel more attractive. Now, now you just hope that nobody buries you in that thing. Alright? What's changed? What, what's, what's happened? Well, time has separated you from your commitment to that outfit. Styles change, and your heart, which is continually tempted to look to something new for something else, begins to demonstrate its fickle self. Some of you have done this with your faith. Some of you have done this with your commitment to Christ. This is why God's people must preach the gospel to yourself daily. You must remind your heart, you need Jesus. He showed up. You are born again. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are known. And your heart is wired to worship that God. And it gets haywire though and will worship anything when you don't worship God. But even for those who worship God, your heart is tempted to forget who you actually are. And the glory of the gospel and what it's done for you no longer burns brightly. You say you believe now hear this you say you believe that God is sovereign and you would say it. God is good and you'd say it. But you spend a great deal of time worrying about what's happening in your life and in your country. You worry and you fret. You wring your hands. You say one thing, but your life actually reflects something else. What's going on? Well, your heart has distanced itself from the gospel. Be reminded, people, God is reigning over life. The world that we live in, and and God is not absent in any moment. He is working. He is limiting. He is ordering. He is controlling all things, and this is the correct order. For his glory and your good... And here is the wonderful thing about that. Do you know that those things are never, ever separated with a providential sovereign God? Never. Never. But when the idol factory kicks on, the glory of God gets shrouded behind other things that you want. And the things that you and I want are almost always centered around three things we want success, we want security. And we want to be happy. And often, that's outside of God. You know why? Because your heart is misguided. Now, I'm being nice. Do you know what the Bible actually says about your heart? It says in Jeremiah 17 that it's deceitful and sick. It's beyond comprehension. You don't like to be told that. What you love to hear is what your culture will tell you, and it's an Oprah soundbite. Follow your heart. And your heart goes, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. All right? Follow your heart. But your heart's way off. And because it's way off, idols are all over your life, sometimes like how dandelions suddenly pop up on the grass of your lawn. So what's the fix? What is the fix for us? What do we need to do as a Christian? Well, We need to learn to live and process life out of our identity, and we learn to do that daily. For when you see God and you see yourself and how he relates to you, it frees you to live more idol-free. Right now, some of you don't know Christ. I know in a room this size... Not everyone is a Christian. And I want to tell you some things that initially is going to sound hard to hear, but you need to understand how Scripture paints this. If you are not a follower of Christ, the Bible says that you are under God's judgment, and currently you are operating under what's called common grace. So if you don't think your life is a hot mess... You're operating under common grace. We all get common grace. And we're all benefactors of his restraining grace. It's a reality that no one really likes to talk about. But our hearts need to be reminded that this earth that we are on belongs to God. And all that's in it will give an account to God. The Bible puts life that's lived without God this way. Without God... Without hope. But there is hope. There's hope for that person who sits in this room this morning who is looking for hope. Come to Christ. He is ready to receive you. And, Christian, oh, your heart needs to be reminded you are an object of gospel fueled grace. Because the guilty judgment that was due you, was taken by your Savior. And now you are actually a beloved child. You're not a product of what others have said about you. And some of you interpret life and in what has been said to you. Some of it happened to you young. Either you were praised or you were derided. Both of those things warp you. Both. Both. I've had a conversation with a, a man several times who was told nearly every year leading up to his birthday, Your mom is sick because of you. Mom is not going to live because of you. You should not have been born. You are a tick. All you do is take. Some of you know that voice. Some of you know another destructive voice. You were told you were an angel your whole life. You are so great. You are so special. You're better than all those other clowns. All right. You were told lies. And you believed them. Everyone has a story of getting warped by praise or, or your derision. But the reality is, if you're a Christian, you woke up this morning brand new. You're new. You have God, but more importantly, God has you. And God has purpose for you, including most profoundly, you knowing and experiencing a love life for His glory and not your own. Do you know that you are actually sponsored For hearing from Jesus. Well done. Well done. You were sponsored for success. You were sponsored for glory. You are filled with all that you need to be faithful. And that has everything to do with how you operate out true identity. You've been washed. Again, you are new. You are bought. You have purpose far greater than what you can scratch out on this little piece of dirt that's called the earth. Some of you dream, you walk down the hall of the place that you work. You walk by doors, you see a name, a title on a door. You want that title. You believe that that is what would make you you, make you better, that title. What makes you better? You're owned. You're owned by your Savior. He has you. He loves you. And I pose to you, that purpose, living for His glory and not your own, will give you identity that transforms your life. But I know some of you, (laughs) that sounds really risky. It sounds risky to surrender your life that way. Your identity and your purpose to God, I surrender it to you. Let me pose a question to you. Have you ever considered... Have you ever considered what's more risky? What's more risky? Surrendering yourself to Christ or surrendering yourself to your heart that lies to you all the time? About what makes you you? What's more risky? Who knows more about success And how to make a life glorious. God, you. Who knows more? See, your heart will lie to you. But the reality is God does have a plan for his glory and your good that defines you more fully. So that brings us to that fundamental answer. When we have that fundamental problem, our roles and our identity get confused What's the fundamental answer? Live fueled by your identity in Christ, not the roles that you play. Live your life daily attuned to your identity in Christ. Filter all your roles, all the things that you play through pursuing freedom, giving the reality of God and His owning your life. That has preeminence. Because of the gospel, you belong to Him. You live out of that. Or, if all of that is too much, hear this. Hear how the Apostle Paul put it. Christ is your life. He is your identity. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul wrote, If then... And I contend also the Greek allows you to say, since, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. This passage, Colossians 3, is prescriptive. You go see a physician when you are not well. Physicians will write you a script, a prescription. This passage acts like that. And I'm going to offer you just some takeaways quickly. Paul says this. First, you seek the things above. You see it in the passage? Meaning, you seek the things of Christ The reality that actually defines you. You have been forgiven. You have been given a new identity. And you have purpose for God's glory. Not your own. It's better to live for God's glory. Than your own. The second piece he says. Not just seek. But he says set your mind. He's talking about what's going on in your brain. Set your mind on Christ. Not on the things that you tend to. To make up as your identity. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Then he says a third thing. He says, with this new identity, you give emphasis to certain things. Most profoundly, love, letting peace rule in your heart and giving thanks. Look at verse 14 again. Let's just look at how he says it. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So here's what he's saying. Love others, Christ's rule equals peace and thankfulness to God. Now here's something I want you to get. In verse 14, Paul uses a specific type of language that you see in the New Testament for how Christians live. Some of you have been hearing about idols, and here's what you've heard. you got idols in your heart, and your heart is said, you got to get rid of those idols. Because one of the tricks of the enemy is you do partial work. Got to get rid of that. That's got to go. Got to get rid of that. Here's the problem with that. It's not fully biblical. So the exercise of trying to get rid of something will not breed success unless you put on something new. So everything that we put off, we start putting new things on. We put off, we put on. That's what he's talking about in this passage. So I want to talk to you briefly about these things he tells you to put on. Including peace. Let it rule in your heart. How does peace rule in your heart? I contend that you got to remember Moses' encounter with God. God says to Moses, God shows up. He tells him who he is. God says, your life's not going to be on the backside of this desert. I'm sending you, Moses, to do something for me, for my glory. And Moses' reply is this, who am I? That's an identity question. But God's answer is an empowering truth. That one It's one empowering truth. When it's viewed by what God promises to do in your life, it changes everything. It's Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Moses said, to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Then, verse 12, is God's reply to that. God says, but I will be with you. When your roles and your identity get confused, your life will be prone to the chaos Of role performance and obsession of not having maybe the roles that you want. Role performance is that place where your ability, your success or failure is believed to be what makes you, you. And some of you kind of believe, even as a professing believer, you kind of believe that you're on your own. God's there and when you die, he's going to show up. But right now, you're kind of on your own. That is not biblical. It's not biblical at all. In fact, everywhere you go as a believer, Christ goes with you. We believe the lie that you're on your own. Hebrews chapter 1. In fact, all of the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is better. He's better. It's what the theme of the book is. And the writer, right in the first chapter in verse 3, tells us something about Jesus. It says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God, verse 3, and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down. Now, if if you write in your Bible... I encourage you, you should underline, he sat down. Because it means something for your life. Do you know what it means? Sitting down points to work being done, accomplished. It's finished. Jesus made you right, and Jesus sat down. He wants you to know this truth. And he wants that truth to transform your reality, your identity. Now, if you're not struggling in your roles, some of you have got 10 or 15 things that you're doing. Some of those things you're doing great. Congratulations. I want to encourage you. Really, great job. Don't put your trust there. Because roles change. You may be the darling in your work right now, and you'll be the goat, and that's not the greatest, later. All right. Employers move on. Live out of what Christ has done for you. Frame your life through that lens of who you are. Some of you are here this morning and you're exhausted. You're exhausted with your choices. You're exhausted with the rejection that you've known. You're exhausted with your failure. You're just exhausted. You don't even know who you are. And you're longing for new. And I'm telling you, the Savior Jesus Christ waits for you. If you will look up, he will draw you to himself. So if you're exhausted, come to Christ. If you're weary with sin and failure, come to Christ. He will take you he will make you his. He will give you new identity. You will be adopted as a child set apart for himself. And, believer, those of you who know what it means to stagnate and your following Christ has become stale, come home. Get up and come home. Empty your hands of all the things that you think will make you fulfilled, but never quite do. Come and lay down those idols. Release them. Seek Christ. Set your mind on all that is yours in Christ. And do not forget what was promised to Moses is actually guaranteed to you because of Jesus. Certainly, I will be with you. Hebrews 13, 5, God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I pray that that transforms how you live this week. Let's pray. Would you help us, O Lord? Help us with our fickle heart. Would you awaken us And draw us to you. Would you help us to lay down all the things that we look to. To give us meaning and success. All the things that we look to. That give us happy. That that tell us they're going to make us happy. That they just never quite do. Would you show your great love to us. Would you draw us back. Would you awaken and revive our hearts. Would you give yourself to us in fresh ways so that we consciously know what it means to follow you and to trust you and to live the reality that Christ is our life. Bless us this morning with that reality. In Jesus' name, amen.